Today, we're looking at moms, and we're looking at how to be a godly mom, how to be a mom that makes a difference. And to some of you guys, I'm reading your mind right now, hey, I could check out. I ain't, I'm not a mom, and I'm never going to be a mom. But the principles we're looking at for being a godly mom are godly principles. So pay attention, guys, because you'll still grab onto some principles this morning that'll help you walk with God and be godly in your life as we look at godly principles for godly moms. Also, some of you ladies, you're not moms yet, but you might be someday. So put this, put this back in the memory banks if you're not a mom yet and, and use these principles. And again, it's, there's principles for everybody because they're about being godly. And so we can apply these principles, man or women, but let's target them at moms this morning. So uh, let's, let's look in our Bibles. We're in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. We're just doing three verses today on, on, on moms that make a difference. And so, um, hey, let's do this. Let's, let's do what we normally do. Let's all stand and let's do two things. Let's all stand. Come on, come on, come on, stand. Let's all stand and let's do our affirmation of what we believe about the Bible and then we'll read just the three verses that we're going to study today. So if you have your Bible, lift it up. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. Just read what we got up here, statement of faith, and make this your statement about what you believe about the Bible. Let's say it together. This Bible, come on church, this Bible is the inspired and infallible Word of God. It has the power to train me in righteousness. I will receive God's word today with humility and respect. My ears are open, my mind is alert, and my heart is receptive to God's word. May this time in God's word equip me to love God, love people, and be a part of the mission of each one reach one. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, don't, don't, don't sit down. Come on, stay up. We're going to read the scripture now. It's only three verses. We can read it today. Come on, this is what we're going to study this morning. Let's read it together. Ready? Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Amen, church? You may be seated. Amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Before we get into the Titus scripture, I want to read just some quotes. I'm just going to throw a few quotes at you from famous people talking about their moms. You ready? Quote number one, John MacArthur, great Bible teacher, said this, to be a mother is by no means second class. <clears throat> Men may have the authority in the home, but the women have the influence. The mother more than the father is the one who molds and shapes those little ones from day one. Amen? Abraham Lincoln, the great president, said this, all that I am or ever hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. It's great. Um, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, prince of preachers from the 1800s, said this, you're as much serving God and looking after your children and training them up in God's fear and minding the house and making your household a church for God as you would be if you had been called to lead an army to battle for the Lord of hosts. Interesting. I love this next quote. Andy Stanley, the son of Charles Stanley, says this, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God might not be something you do, but someone you raise. When we get to heaven, we could talk to Billy Graham's mom about that. Amen? Imagine being Billy Graham's mom and seeing him reach millions for Christ. Wow. Uh, Jen Wilkins said this, the Christian mom doesn't love Jesus instead of loving her children. She loves Jesus by loving her children. C.S. Lewis, the great author, said this, children are not a distraction from more important work. They are the most important work. Amen? Billy Graham 
said this, only God himself fully appreciates the influence of a Christian mother in the molding of character in her children. Interesting. And then George Washington, our first president, said this, my mother was the most beautiful woman I ever saw. All I am, I owe to my mother. I attribute all my success in life to the moral, intellectual, physical education I received from her. And then Abraham Lincoln again put it this way, I remember my mother's prayers and they have followed me. They have clung to me my entire life. And let's close it up with the Proverbs, what Proverbs say about the virtuous woman. It says, she is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he, what? Praises her. So let's get into our scripture. We're gonna, I'm going to give you some tools, ladies, on how to be a godly mom. Principles that if you apply, it will bring godliness into your motherhood with your kids. So let's jump back to Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Let's study it this morning. First of all, let me give you a little background. Titus is a pastoral epistle. What does that mean? It means Titus was a pastor. And Paul was writing to Titus as he was on the island of Crete. Crete was an island in the Mediterranean, just south of Greece. And it was one of the islands that Paul started a church on. And after he started the church there, he delegated the leadership of that church to this pastor called Titus. And that's where the book of Titus comes from. And what, what Titus' responsibility now was not only to pastor the church, but to raise up leadership and disciple people within the church, including the ladies, including the godly women and the godly moms. And so we'll see these principles for women that Paul's instructing Titus, and he's saying, your, your job now is the pastor of the church in Crete is to disciple not only elders, but women. You know, the job of the church is discipleship. It's not just conversion, it's discipleship. Again, I quoted it earlier, we're told, go therefore make disciples, not decisions, disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We were studying this week on men's breakfast. We have a men's breakfast in the cafe, and we studied yesterday that disciple is used 277 times to refer to Christians in the New Testament. 277 times. Question, how many times is the word Christian used to refer to believers within the New Testament. Disciples, 277 times. Christian, three times. Three times. Why? Because God wants us not just to be decisions. He wants us to be disciples. He wants us to be people that are growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. People that are growing in our understanding of God's word and then living it out. Disciples. People that are being taught to observe all that Jesus commanded and then walking in that. So ladies, your cause to discipleship. And then, ladies, listen to this, your cause to discipleship and then it's also to disciple the next generation. You need to get discipled in God's word yourself so you can disciple the next generation and pass on that legacy of discipleship to them. And moms, let me tell you something. If you still have kids at home, you got 18 years to disciple those kids make a huge difference in their lives. It's one of the most important things, probably the most important thing you'll do with your life is to disciple your kids, your own kids. So let's learn how we're supposed to do that. Titus chapter three, uh, 2, verse 1, or verse 3. If you're there, say amen. All right, let's read it. First of all, it says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior. If you want to be a disciple of the next generation, if you want to be a godly mom, 
Older women, be reverent in your behavior. The word reverent behavior means to be, uh, actually King James says, becometh holiness. And it's just saying older women. And so he's addressing the older women first. And the wonderful thing is, ladies, listen, as you get older, you're supposed to grow in holiness. And as you grow in holiness, you become more and more usable and qualified to disciple other people because you're growing in holiness yourself. And I tell you what, that's what we need to be seeing. As we grow older, we're supposed to be growing more mature in Christ and becoming more like Christ. And the wonderful thing about Christianity, it's not like the world. The world, as you get older, sometimes they cast you aside because you're too old now to do this or do that. But as you get older within the Christian church, you become more and more qualified to be used for the kingdom of God because of your maturity in Christ. But what's supposed to be the first thing on the list if you want to be a godly mom or a godly woman? Reverent behavior. The Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. They may prove the will of God, that which is what? Good and acceptable and perfect. The Bible says we're supposed to be, as God's people, we're supposed to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a holy nation called for God's own possession so that we might declare the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we're supposed to be all about reverent in behavior. And I tell you what, I was reading an article a while back and it was about Betty White. Remember Betty White? She just turned 90. So there's this whole article in the paper about Betty White. It was interesting because I heard she just turned 90. She's the one that has those Super Bowl ads and she gets run over by the football players. I don't know if you've seen that or not. But anyway, so I was reading this article and I was like, ugh, reading the articles because she's 90 some years old now and she was profane in some of the things she was saying. She was using sexual innuendos and talking about, oh, it just didn't fit. An older lady being profane and obscene in this public interview. Well, that's not the way to be, ladies. As you grow chronologically, may you grow spiritually, and may you grow in holiness instead of worldliness. Amen? That's very important. Because the first thing on your list, if you want to be... Be a godly mom is you got to have a godly life, right? You got to say, I don't want to just teach you because I want to live it before you. Because your Christianity with the next generation is going to be more easily caught than taught. And as they see reverence in your behavior, as they see holiness, they're going to model that and walk in that also. It's just, it's going to be passed on. Interesting, the high priests and the priests in the uh, Jewish culture at the time, they would go into the holy place every day and light the incense. And the incense was representing the prayers of God going up to God's people, but it was a holy place. The temple was holy. It's where God's presence was at. And when they come out of the temple, here's what would happen. The people would sell, they would smell the fragrance of the incense and knowing that the priests had been within God's presence and had been in a holy place. Moms, may your kids smell the fragrance of God's presence and God's holiness on your lives. May they sense that you spend time in God's presence and they even, they, they, they could see it and sense it in your life because the fragrance of God's presence and holiness and power is emanating from your life. You know, I mentioned Betty White, just the opposite, but I, I saw another uh, interview one time with Tim Tebow's mom. Wow, talk about a godly woman. I remember seeing this interview. She'd been interviewed with Tim, and they did some cooking together on Good Morning America. And, stuff, and I could just see the glow 
on Tim Tebow's mom's life, the, 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 the fragrance of God's presence emanating from her life. It was just powerful, even, even over TV. And then I remember Heidi went actually to see her speak in person at a local church when she was in town, Tim Tebow's mom. And, and she said just scripture after scripture after scripture was just coming from this lady. She spoke at this woman's gathering. Interesting, too. I just read a book by Tim Tebow. It's called This is the Day. And the whole premise of the book is we're just supposed to live every day for Christ. Tim Tebow was talking about that in the book. And he said, and he got this, this modeling of living every day for Christ from his mom. And his mom would actually wake him up every day. When, from little kid on through teenagers, she'd wake him up saying, this is, she'd be singing to him, waking him up. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. And she, he still has that song reverberating in his mind because he had a godly mom that was teaching him to live a godly life and not only teaching him, but living it before him. So first thing on the list, moms, be what in your behavior? Reverent, holy, not worldly, holy, different. Holy means set apart for God's purposes and different than the rest of the world. And then it also says older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. Now look at this, not malicious gossips nor enslaved to much wine. That's interesting because Crete was a Roman colony. Crete was a place where there was a lot of business, a lot of trade business going through the Mediterranean Sea. It was a place that was inundated with Roman citizens that were retiring to the island of Crete, and they had money. There were 60 million slaves that worked within the Roman Empire at the time. And so if you were wealthy, like a lot of these people on the island of Crete, you didn't work. What you did, you had slaves do the work for you. And so he's saying to these older women, there's a lot of people on the island of Crete that are enslaved to wine in their prosperity, in their free time, and they're also busybodies. They're malicious gossips. And he puts those two things together. Ladies, don't be involved with that, is what he's saying. Don't let anything enslave you but Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth of what? Set you free, man. If the Son sets you free, you should be free indeed. Don't let this culture we're living in where everybody's drinking, and everybody's getting pickled, even within the church at times, don't pull, let that pull you in, because it'll enslave you. It'll become your master rather than Jesus Christ. Don't be enslaved. The Bible says, don't get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Don't come under the influence of alcohol like the rest of the world does. Rather, come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And then also it says, a part of this, this culture of prosperity and free time. And, and by the way, this applies to us because just like Crete, we're in a very prosperous country right here. Did you know that? We're, we're in the most wealthy places in the world to live. I was reading the other day that if you're in the middle, just the general middle class of the United States, you're in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. And so there's a lot of opportunity in our wealth and our prosperity in this country to be enslaved to stuff like alcohol or other stuff a lot of opportunity also not to be just busybodies because we got all this free time. And ladies, don't give in to the malicious gossip thing either. You know what the Bible says about our voices and what we're supposed to say? Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that which is good for building others up according to the need of the moment that it might give what? Grace to those who hear. Let your words about other people grace people. Let your words about other people bring life, not death. Let your words about other people bring blessing, not cursing the people. If you have anything to say about something, uh, somebody, make sure it's something good. And if you don't have something good to say about somebody, just keep your mouth shut. 
I'm just saying. Well, where is that in the Bible? James, the book of James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You know what the John Hoppe translation is? Keep your mouth shut. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Amen? So be, if another godly principle is not only holiness, but careful what you put in your mouth in regards to the alcohol, and careful that what comes out of your mouth in regards to malicious gossiping. Interesting, the word for malicious gossip in the original language, diablos. You know what, what other word we get from that? The devil. You're never more like the devil than when you're slandering and gossiping and just saying negative things about other people, especially within the church of Jesus Christ. A part of our job as Christians, we're supposed to have each other's backs. We're supposed to be a part of the same family, the same team, the same army. And an army that's divided, that's saying negative, divisive things about one another is never going to work in regards to victory. But an army that's united, and there's loyalty, and there's respect, and there's honor about what we say about one another, that's a winning team. Amen? That's the team I want us to have here at Calvary Chapel, Lexington. So, not malicious gossips, nor is a slave to much wine, teaching what is good. Ladies, moms, you need to teach your kids what is good. Why? Because they don't need to be taught what's bad. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed kids don't need to be taught to lie? They need to be taught to tell the truth. Have you noticed kids don't need to be taught to be selfish? They need to be taught to give. Have you noticed kids don't need to be taught to be angry? Like, mine! It's one of the first words that kids learn, isn't it? It's mine! Or me! We need to teach our kids to be able to share and to love and to be not angry, but to love. Teach them. Now question, moms, how do you teach them that? How do you teach them to, be, to, to do good? By teaching them God's word. Psalm 119, 911, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping according to thy word. Thy word have I treasure in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's what we need to be teaching them. I love our Awana's group on Wednesday nights. We have all these kids, about 70 kids over there on Wednesday nights in the Jesus Dome over there, and they're memorizing Scripture. And there's two little girls, after every Wednesday night service, they come and give Pastor John a hug, and then they share their Scripture with me. And it's wonderful. And while I was having these surgeries and stuff, I got cards from them about, Pastor John, when are you going to be back? You know, And it's just, they're, but it's fun because every week when they give me the hug or whatever, I say, okay, what's your Scripture for tonight? They share their scripture. And I know they're getting trained in doing good by memorizing God's word and putting it in their heart. Parents, moms, dads, one of the biggest things you do for your kids is teach them what is good through the teaching of God's word into their lives. And don't just let the church do that. Don't just let the church do that. Do it in your home. Our kids. We had all the hoppy kids here in the first service. So we had a whole row right here in the front row. Uh, we had... Uh, we had a double whammy this weekend. It was Mother's Day for Heidi, but also her birthday's tomorrow. And so we had a double header. And all the kids came. We had a slumber party at the Hoppy House last night. It was awesome. Had a, you know, everybody together, and it was fun. But um, one of the things Heidi did, initiated, when our kids were little, before, we all said they were going to go to public school and be a witness in the public school. And, but before you go to school every day, we'd read Scripture with them. Verse by verse, chapter a lot of times, so chapter of Proverbs, whatever. We'd read scripture with them, then we'd pray for them, and we'd send them out into the world with God's word in their heart before they left the home. I tell you what, that's paid some big dividends 
in my kids' lives. And they're all walking with Christ now, and they have godly spouses also that are walking with Christ. And a lot of that has to do with the training them to do good by the teaching of God's Word into their lives. Wonderful. Are they perfect? No. Do they make mistakes? Yes. But they've been trained in God's Word to do good. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse, 14, uh, five uh, verse 14, says, But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The word, solid food is there is God's word. God's word. Here's what happens. As you train your kids in God's word, their senses get trained to do good rather than evil. I've seen it. Their natural inclination is to do good. Their knee-jerk reaction is to do good. Now, I didn't get saved until I was 17. I was lost as a rock, immoral, just a lost teenager. So I never got this training as a kid in God's Word. I didn't get trained to do good through God's Word. So for years, even as a Christian, my natural response is to not do good. But as I've grown in God's Word, it's getting more and more knee-jerk reaction to do good. Now, my wife Heidi, just the opposite. She had godly parents. They did devotions after dinner every night with God's word and prayer. She went to a Christian grade school, Christian high school, Christian college. We met in a Christian seminary. And so Heidi's natural response is to knee-jerk reaction, do good, do good. That, and that's what God's word has done for her. She's my greatest accountability partner, by the way. She has no problem holding Pastor John accountable to do good. And I love that. I love that I have a wife that was trained from early, from preschool on to do good through the teaching of God's Word. Moms, let's give that same gift to our kids and to our grandkids. Amen? Train them to do good by teaching them God's Word. Have them read God's Word, memorize God's Word, study God's Word, be in church to hear God's Word. So important. It'll train their senses to do good rather than evil. So teaching what is good, so that they, here's the next thing on the list for godly moms and godly wives, so that these older women may encourage the young women to do what? Love their husbands and love their children. I'm ringing up here a little bit, uh, Joe. If you could get that ringing out of there. I'd, uh, do you hear that ringing right there? Okay. I don't know what that is, but get it out, please. I'd probably one of, the, one of these mics are up here on or something like that. So next thing on the list, godly women, godly moms, godly wives, love their husbands and love their kids. You say, well, that's just a gimme. We, we know we're supposed to love our husbands. We know we're supposed to love our kids. Now, the Greek word there for love is a little bit different. It's, it's not agape, which we see oftentimes in the New Testament, which is Christ-like love, selfless love, and sacrificial love. This word here for love your husbands and love your wives is filio. It means tender affection. It means fondness. It means even liking. You know that saying, ladies? One of the greatest things you do in being godly is to have not only a love for your husband and your kids, but a liking and a fondness and a tender affection for them. You notice that as we grow in our years together in marriage, oftentimes we lose that tender affection sometimes. Wives, one of the best things you could do is get back to liking your husband again. Not only liking him, maybe, maybe laughing at his jokes again. How long has that been, some of you husbands? See, she doesn't laugh at my jokes anymore. Or maybe of the likeness of, or the fond affection of just showing some affection. Showing some, you know, rubbing the back of his neck or giving him a hug or fondness. And listen, do that for your kids too. 
You know, some of you moms, you're so burned out with preschool kids or other kids or where else. You, you're just, ah! Listen, this is directed to older women teaching younger women to love their husbands and like their husbands, fondness towards their husband and fondness towards their kids. You know why? Because some of these older women's, women were widows. Some of them, most of them probably had kids that had left the home and some of them had already lost their husbands. And so what are these older women telling some of these younger women? Hey, while you got your kids home, love them. Have fondness towards them. Take advantage of the time you have with them now. And same with your husband. You don't know how long you're going to have your husband for. Have a fondness, affection, tender affection for your husband too because you don't know if you'll still have your husband tomorrow. Better love him now. So it's a godly trait, again, having a fondness, a tender affection, a love for your husband and for your kids. Now it goes on. To be sensible, pure, workers at home, and kind. Sensible, what does that mean? Well, the word sensible for a godly mom or a godly woman is this. Safe, sound of mind, self-controlled, discreet, sober, temperate. The word pure is um, uh, innocent, modest, chaste, clean. The Bible says in Proverbs, great verses on this, 31-30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. As a, <laughs> this is scripture, as a ring of gold and a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. And then 1 Peter 3, great verse on godliness for women. It says, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external. In other words, your beauty must not be merely external. Braiding a hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses. But let your beauty, ladies, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit who is precious in the sight of God. You know what those verses are saying in 1 Peter 3? It's saying, ladies, you want to be godly wife, godly mom, influence the next generation, don't look at just outward beauty and emphasize that. Emphasize the eternal, internal. Emphasize growing in godliness. Emphasize as you get older, becoming more and more beautiful on the inside because you're growing in Christ-likeness on the inside. You know what? That's what our kids need. They don't need to be taught about all this external beauty stuff. They need to be taught about internal beauty, and they learn that from your example of emphasizing I'm going to become more and more beautiful on the inside as I walk with Christ. Amen? My, um, my uh, mom, we called her Mimi, because my mom's mom, when I was growing up, was called Mimi. And my mom and uh, my, my grandma on, 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 on that side, Grandma DeBoer, great examples to me of what we're talking about here, of inner beauty. Uh, my Mimi, that was my grandma, was Mimi DeBoer, and she was actually, um, she was the, uh, um, the daughter of a Dutch Reformed preacher. So my great-grandpa on my, my, my mom's side was actually a pastor, a Dutch Reformed pastor. And um, I remember growing up as a, as a kid, and I'd be exported a lot of time on the weekends to Mimi DeBoer's house. And it was always, a, it, was, it was like a shelter. It was like a getaway place. It was a place, because there was a lot of dysfunctional stuff going on in the home I was raised in with my dad's alcoholism and other craziness going on. My mom would ship me out to Wheaton, Illinois, and I'd spend time, my sister and I, with Mimi DeBoer. And she was a great example of what we're studying right here. She was kind. 
She was pure. She was sensible. She was a keeper of her home. The word keeper of the home there means someone who would guard her home and make her home a place that was safe. And I remember going to Mimi's house and just, oh, it was like an oasis, just safe. She had those little ice cream. Remember those ice cream cones that were like, uh, uh, they were like cones, and then they had vanilla ice cream, and then they had like speckled chocolate on the top? She had those in abundance in her freezers. I just, I would clear that freezer out every time I go. But I remember also M- Mimi DeBoer was just godly. She was a great example of someone who had internal beauty. She didn't have a lot of external stuff going for her. She was a little bit stocky, and she was, by the time I was spending time in her home, she was a grandma, and she didn't have all this external beauty. But the more I got to know Mimi, the more I realized this is one of the most beautiful women I've ever known because of the internal beauty she had in her heart. She was kind. She was sensible. She was pure. She was a keeper of her home. She was godly. She was holy. She had reverent behavior. It's a wonderful example to me of godliness. And so I remember after I lost Mimi DeBoer, um, a few years after we lost Mimi, I was in Wisconsin, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, pastoring our second church, and I get on an airplane, and uh, I go to the largest gathering of pastors in the history of the church, Promise Keepers Clergy Conference. We had 42,000 pastors descend upon Atlanta for four days. It's an amazing time. Some of the best Bible teachers in our generation were there. Chuck Swindoll was there. Tony Evans was there. All these great Bible teachers there, and they're teaching us for four days. But I remember getting on the airplane, going to the clergy conference, and I sat next to this guy. He had his Bible out. So I go, oh, this guy's probably going to the clergy conference. I asked him, and he goes, yeah, I'm a pastor. I go, where do you pastor at? I was coming from Wisconsin, flying out of Chicago, and he said, I pastor in Wheaton, Illinois. That's where my Mimi lived. And so really, what church do you pastor? He said, I pastor the Christian Reformed Church in Wheaton, Illinois. That's the church that my Mimi and her husband, uh, Papa DeBoer, helped start. And that was the pastor. There's 42,000 pastors going to this thing. And I sit next to, on the airplane, the guy that's Mimi's pastor. And I said, oh, wow, you're my Mimi's pastor. And he said, let me tell you something. He said, your Mimi is greatly missed in our church. And I go, why? And he goes, because there's a hole because your Mimi was an older lady in the church that discipled younger ladies and not only taught them, but lived it before them. And there's a hole in our church now of all these ladies that were discipled by, by her that have greatly missed your Mimi. I started having like my eyes sweat a little bit because I realized the impact that Mimi had not only upon uh, her kids, but also in future generations of women Older women discipling younger women to be chaste and godly and sensible and pure and keeping their home and loving their husband. And, love. and she lived all that stuff out. Great example of that. Great example of that. And her pastor verified that she had an incredible impact because of that. Now, also it says here, you're to be sensible, pure, workers at home. And I want you to see also, ladies, if you want to be godly in your motherhood and just be godly moms and godly women, you're to be kind. Kind. What does that mean? Literally translate Greek means you live for the benefit of others. You're not living for yourself. You're living for the sacrificial benefit of others. You know, we had uh, Heidi, uh, uh, we had, it's, her, it's actually, you're not gonna, I'm not going to say the age, but she's turning a certain decade tomorrow. Amazing. She does, yeah, 30. 30 times 2. Oh, I was supposed to say that. Whoops. But, 
But the kids were all supposed to come just for Mother's Day yesterday for lunch, and then they're all going to go back to their separate cities where they all live and stuff. But they were surprised her because they came after the lunch that we celebrated together. They all descended on the house, and she didn't even know they were coming over. And we had a happy slumber party last night. We had all the hoppy kids sleeping over the hoppy house last night. But one of the things they did for Heidi was they uh, put together a book with all the kids and the spouses and all her significant people in her life, uh, basically put pictures of them with Heidi and then statements about Heidi. And one of the things they said over and over again in these statements about Heidi that I agree with is she's sacrificial. She's selfless. She serves for the benefit of other people within her family and other people in the church too. And I, that's, that's golly, being kind, being kind. It's interesting, too, um, well, my oldest son, John G., was here this weekend with, with her, with her two, uh, less than two-year-old daughter. She is one of the cutest little girls you've ever seen in the whole world. She's my first grandkid, Adele. And it's significant to me because when, when she was born a year and a half ago, they named her Adele because my mom's name was Adele. And I was thinking about this in regards to kindness. You know, my Mimi DeBoer and my wife, very kind people, but my mom, great example to me too, just kindness. You know, my mom, uh, when I graduated from high school, my sister graduated high school, we all went to college, we started flying the coop or whatever. When, you know, the first thing she did was she went back to school after 30 years of not being in school. She went back to school to get her MSW, which is the Master's of Social Work, so she could work in an impoverished school, elementary school in Chicago, and work with behavior-disordered kids. And she was a great example to me, Adele Hoppy, my mom, of someone that didn't live for herself, but for sacrificial benefit of other people in kindness. She was the advocate in that school, Hillside Elementary School in Chicago, of these little kids that had all kinds of dysfunctional crazy upbringings, drug addict parents, all kinds of crazies, and she was the place of safety for them to run to. And she would get them to go to her office before they got hammered by the principal. And then she'd go in the principal's office and she'd be an advocate for those kids. She loved those kids. And she lived a, a decade in her later years serving in that Hillside Elementary School because she wanted to be kind to those kids. Moms, let's be that way, amen? Kindness. I have a real pet peeve when, when you see a mean Christian, that's an oxymoron. Meanness and Christianity should not go together. What should go together is kindness in Christianity. Because it's the kindness of God, Romans 2, 4, that leads us to repentance in the first place. We have a kind God. We should be a kind people. That's part of godliness. Now let's close it up, our scripture this morning. It says, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind. And then it says, be subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Why do we have to end with that one? <laughs> Pastor on the hot seat. Oh my gosh. Why do we got to talk about wives being subject to husbands? Up, up until that, I'm running with you, John. But now you're telling me to be subject to my husband? Yeah. And we're ending with that. You know why? Because we're living in a culture that is against authority, against the structure of God's word, and is rebellious. And why is one of the things you could do for your husbands that's great and godly? Come under his leadership. The word subject means to align yourself, adapt yourself to, and means to follow. And one of the greatest things you could do for your husband and for your home is to follow your husband's leadership. 
Now, it leads to godly leadership. And husbands, listen. Don't be a dictatorial leader because it doesn't work. I've tried. It doesn't work. The, the, the leadership that's being talked about here is servant leadership, Christ-like leadership. How did Christ lead? He died for the people he was leading. He sacrificed for them. He washed their feet. And husbands, as you wash your wife's feet, as you serve her, you're going to make it a lot easier for her to follow your leadership. But husbands or wives, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Just because just your culture is telling you to be rebellious, don't let any man rule over you, don't let any man, you know, don't, don't, no, no. The Bible is saying we're all equal. Galatians 3.28 says that in Christ we're all one, male or female, we're equal in Christ, but there's different roles. And the greatest need of your husband is to have some respect. The greatest need of a husband is not a hallmark card, okay? The greatest need of a husband is to have a wife that is willing to follow his leadership and respect him. You're meeting his greatest need by, by, by following his, his leadership in that home. And by the way, you're also going to have a better home, less chaos, more blessing, and it's going to be an example to your kids. And wives, as you're allowing your husband to lead, your kids are going to have the order of that home. They'll be blessed, safe, secure, and they'll also have an example for the next generation next generation of families will see this order within your family and will help them. Amen? So what we learned this morning, a number of things. Godly moms will be reverent in their behavior. They're not going to be malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine. They'll be careful what they put in their mouth and what comes out of their mouth. They're going to be teaching what is good by teaching the Word of God to the next generation. They're going to encourage the young woman to love their husbands, have a fondness, affection, a liking even for their husbands and their kids. They're going to be sensible, pure workers at home. They're going to be kind. They're going to be subject to their own husbands and respect his leadership. And husbands, you're going to serve your wives well so she can respect you. Amen? Good stuff. Let's pray. Father, we just pray, Father, for this word to not come back empty, but to accomplish a purpose for which it is sent, Lord. Thank you, Father, that your word is true. Thank you, Father, that your word helps us to discern good and evil and trains us in godliness, Lord. And so help us to be a people, Lord, that are willing to, to live not by the world's standards, but by your word standards, Lord. Help us to be a people that are applying what we're learning here at Calvary Chapel and bringing it into our homes, our marriages, our parenting, our personal lives, Lord. Thank you, God, that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you, Father, that your word trains us in righteousness. It teaches us. It rebukes us. It corrects us. It trains us in righteousness, Lord. Help us to be people that are walking in it now, Father. Help us to be people that are living it out for your kingdom and your glory, God. And I pray for all the moms that are in this room right now. Give them what they need to be sensible, to be pure, to be holy and reverent in their behavior, to be kind, to be loving their husbands and their kids to be people that are willing, moms that are willing to come under the authority even of, of the husband in the home. Thank you, Father, that as these things happen, you're going to bless. You're going to bless marriages in this room. You're going to bless parenting in this room. You're going to bless kids in this room. So help us to live that out, Father. Help us to receive it and then live it. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name.